You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, look with me this morning to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to do a couple things different this morning. I'm not going to tell you what those are. You'll kind of discover those as we move through the message this morning. But Exodus chapter 12, today we're talking about God's rescue plan. God's rescue plan. How many of you like rescue movies? Like action, drama. If I were to pick, like, what's my favorite movie to watch? I don't watch a lot of movies, but when I watch a movie, I like the action. I like the drama. I like the energy. And I really like rescue movies. Movies like Saving Private Ryan. How many of you saw Saving Private Ryan? Phenomenal rescue show, World War II film. A little gory, but it was about a, tr- uh, a troop of men sent in to uh, search out and find this Private Ryan uh, whose brothers had been killed in service. And they're on this mission, and the mission is really a, a rescue mission. Uh, and then there, a second, kind of one of my favorite rescue missions, Apollo 13. How many saw Apollo 13? Another great flick. Um, you know, they're going on this lunar mission, and in the midst of it, there's these challenges, and all of a sudden, we have a crisis situation. We have people back on Earth who's working endlessly trying to get these astronauts back safely. And what was a great rescue mission? You know, as great as those two movies are about rescue, Saving Private Ryan, Apollo 13, they don't even begin to compare to the rescue mission that we find in Exodus chapter 12 which I think is one of the greatest rescue missions um, that, that has ever played out, for me, at, at least in history. It, really a foreshadowing. What, ha- what we're going to see in Exodus chapter 12 was a foreshadowing of, of an even greater rescue plan. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, let me give you a little background information as we come to Exodus chapter 12 that's going to help you understand What's happening in the story here? If you go back to Genesis 37, chapter 37, 38, 39, 40, you'll, you'll find there a story about a man by the name of Joseph. How many of you remember Joseph's story? So here's Joseph. Joseph was an Israelite or a Hebrew. So those two words are synonymous, Israelite, Hebrew. Uh, He was an Israelite. He was actually uh, the son of Jacob, the grandson of Isaac, the great-grandson of Abraham. So he's a descendant of Abraham. And uh, Joseph finds himself in a place called Egypt where he's actually in slavery. His brothers have sold him into slavery. And it's in the midst of his crisis um, that Pharaoh, who's the leader of Egypt, has some dreams. And no one can interpret the dreams. Joseph is brought, Joseph the Israelite interprets the dreams. And there's this quick turnaround. I mean, like he goes from being in prison to being second in command in all of Egypt. He's given this prestigious position as he interprets the dream about there's going to be seven years of famine. And, and so Pharaoh places him in this uh, position of authority. And things are good for Joseph and things are good for his family, the Israelites, for some period of time, uh, but then Joseph dies. And when Joseph dies, the pharaohs, the leadership of, of Egypt, they quickly forget his contribution. And the Israelites go from being like a favored position to an envied position. And they actually end up being slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. Think about that, 400 years. They endured oppression, they endured uh, mistreatment as they were slaves. And then the scripture says they begin to cry out to God. Out of their 
uh, dire situation, they begin to cry out to God for rescue, that, that He would uh, relieve them from the oppression. In Exodus chapter 3, we, we have God's statement. So God now is calling Moses, another Israelite. Um, he's calling Moses to be the deliverer. So let me just read this for you. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 reads like this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land, the land flowing with milk and honey. After a bit of convincing, Moses finally agrees to be the deliverer for his people. So he he goes to Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, hey, uh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, and why should I do that? Like, we've got all of this free labor. I mean, we have these slaves, they're doing all the work, we're just enjoying life, and you want them to leave? Like, again, why would I do that? So then God begins these, uh, these plagues, these judgments against Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. There's ten total, um, but the first nine include things like locusts and frogs and the Nile River turning to blood, hail, kind of those kind of plagues. And then we come to the tenth plague. The tenth plague was, and we're going to read about it in Exodus chapter 12, the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. Now several times in this process of the first nine judgments, the first nine plagues, Pharaoh's, you know, he says, okay, the people can go, and then he changes his mind. But when we come to the final plague, the tenth plague, Pharaoh is quite anxious to get the Israelites out of Egypt, to to be rid of them. Uh, And in this story, we see God's like God's power, God's provision, God's rescue plan. Uh, But the story that we're going to read this morning is actually just a part of a larger rescue plan. But let's begin with Exodus chapter 12. I want to read um, a lengthy passage of Scripture this morning. The first 14 verses. So if you would just follow along as I read. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in Egypt, this month, uh, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person, in, in, in accordance with, with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be a year old male's notice without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and the bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
On that same night, I will, strike, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Notice verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 14, this is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. So what we see here playing out, again, is God's redemption plan. See, from the book of Genesis forward, what do we have? We have God's redemption plan unfolding. Really, in the Old Testament, it's the Old Testament that we begin to see the prophetic pictures of the coming of rescue, the coming of redemption. Um, you know, we have Adam and Eve, like messing up in the Garden of Eden, bringing about what the necessity of rescue. And so what we read here in Exodus chapter 12 is really a prophetic picture of the coming of the, of the Messiah, Christ, our Passover Lamb. The one who would give His life that we might have life. If you haven't read the Old Testament, I would encourage you to do that. Matter of fact, I think it's significant that we have both Old Testament and New Testament because there's so much in the Old Testament that's the unveiling of God's work that we see then coming to fruition in the New Testament. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to read the whole book. Turn to your neighbor and say, read the whole book. Go ahead and tell them, read the whole book. I'm amazed at how many Christ followers proclaim faith in Christ, but they've not read the whole book. So I would encourage you to read the whole book. The Old Testament making way for God's continued redemption plan, His rescue, as we look to the New Testament. But as we think of the Passover, what they were told here to commemorate is actually happening the 30th of this month. March the 30th, 26 days from now, we have Passover. And it's interesting, this year the way the calendar falls... Uh, the Jewish calendar to our calendar, that Passover falls on Good Friday. doesn't always work that way, but this year it falls out that way on the calendar. But Jewish people today are still celebrating the Passover. They celebrate the Passover as this, a commemoration of their liberation by God from slavery in ancient Egypt and their freedom as a nation under the leadership of Moses. There was a defining moment where God says, I'm going to bring my people out of bondage. And He did it through the shedding of a lamb, through the, through the, the death of a lamb, the application of the blood. It was the Passover. You know, interesting today, Jewish people are still celebrating the Passover as a festival. For those Jews who have not embraced Christ as the Messiah, they celebrate the Passover every year. It's like their highest, holiest day on the calendar. They celebrate the Passover. At the end of the Passover meal, they send someone to the door to see if the Messiah has come. Because they're still watching and waiting, looking for the Messiah. So they're still celebrating the Passover as a historic event, a, def- a, a, a significant event, a, an event of rescue for their people. For Christ followers today, we celebrate the Passover as a significant event that foreshadowed the coming of the Lamb of God who would bring salvation for the world. Interesting, every detail of the Passover, every detail of what we read in Exodus chapter 12 was fulfilled to the T 
in the coming of Christ. Amazing. When you begin to put the details together. So what happened in Exodus chapter 12, again, was, it was a foreshadowing of redemption that was to come. So let's talk this morning briefly about the historical event, about Passover itself. And my goal today is to help you connect Passover to the crucifixion, to the resurrection, because if we're coming into this holy season, my hope is, is that you're going to see Passover as you've never seen it before. And see how it was, again, God's rescue plan being unveiled. So for the Hebrew people, the Passover brought four things. First is, is it brought atonement. The slaughtered lamb redeemed the people by becoming a substitute for the Israelite firstborn. It was the lamb who died in their place, making atonement. You know, as we read in Exodus chapter 12, this last plague was the, was the death of the firstborn. So throughout Egypt, firstborn, it was the firstborn um, of, of, the, of humans, it was the firstborn of the animals that was going to die if there was not the blood applied. So God's rescue plan to, through Moses to the Israelites was take a lamb that's without defect, that's spotless. Check it out for a few days. And then this is what you're to do. You're to kill the lamb, take the blood, apply it to the doorpost. And as the death angel comes through, bringing death to the firstborn as a judgment against the Egyptians... God, God said, when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over. So it was the lamb that died in the place of the firstborn. So what we have, we have atonement. For the Hebrew people, the Passover also brought purification. The application of the blood to the doorpost purified those within the house. There's a part of the Passover, and even today, the Passover celebration... Israelites are charged to go through their house and remove all of the yeast, all of the leaven. Um, in Scripture, yeast was symbolic of sin. So for seven days, they're to purify their home, removing all of the yeast, removing all of the leaven, all of the sin. And for the Passover, it was unleavened bread, bread without, without yeast in it. Unleavened bread, that's what they celebrated with. And so as we see this happening, we see the, the purification that came, sin being addressed, the blood being applied, pure, bringing purification for the Hebrew people. And then we have the Passover. The pa Passover also brought rescue. The blood applied to the doorpost protected the people from the death angel. If you look back to verse 13, Exodus 12, verse 13, Scripture says, the blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's how we get the term Passover, the festival, the celebration. What the death angel was passing over what's to see the blood. So the blood became what? It became rescue. It became redemption. If you think of it like this, it became salvation for that Israelite household. The blood of the Lamb applied. For the Hebrews, the Passover was also that which made way for the exodus. I mean, they'd been slaves for 400 years. Think about that. The oppression. 400 years. So there was freedom. There was freedom from the slavery of the past and a release to the new future. As a result of this judgment against Pharaoh, finally Pharaoh said, get these people out of here. Out of my sight. 
And it's going to be the death of all of us. Take Moses, take the people and go. So what? They were leaving a place of bondage, moving toward the promised land. They were leaving a place of slavery and oppression to step into the future, the promises that God had. And what the Passover made way for the Exodus. Again, today, Jewish people around the world are celebrating the Passover. Celebrating this, remembering how God intervened, how God brought rescue and redemption for them, for their people. As I said earlier, like this is one of the most sacred holy days on the Jewish calendar. Well, this past week, I had an opportunity to sit down with my my good friend Howard Primer, who's a part of our Grace Covenant family. Interesting, Howard is... Um, an Israelite. He's a descendant of the tribe of Levi. Um, so it was his ancestors that conducted the worship in the temple. Um, so he grew up celebrating a lot of Passovers. As a, as a young boy, he went through the whole bar mitzvah process, Passover celebration, significant for his family. And then at a later season in his life, and you're going to hear this in the video, later season of his life, Howard began to look at the Passover as defined in Exodus chapter 12. And he began to look at the crucifixion and say, wow, there's a connection here somewhere. And through, through that understanding, he came to embrace Yeshua. He came to embrace Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as his Savior. And so I want you to kind of pick up on this interview that I did with Howard as we're connecting Passover to rescue for our lives. I'm here today with my friend Howard Primer, who uh, is of Israelite descent. Actually, interesting. Um, if you trace your family heritage back of the tribe of Levi, mm-hmm. so it would have been your ancestors that would have kind of directed the worship in the temple. Um, you're part here of a Grace Covenant family, and as you know, I always love talking with you about the Torah and the law and the culture. But today, I, I want I want us to interact a little bit about the Passover, and really how you came to faith in the Messiah, and even connecting the Passover to the crucifixion of Christ and resurrection. So let's talk with us a little bit about Passover and really how that opened your eyes to the faith. I think if it weren't for the Passover and the importance of Passover to the Hebrews, I don't know that I would have come to faith. But when I was searching, and I was reading, and I was trying to find my faith, I could not deny the power of the four spring festivals proclaimed by the Lord to Moses back in Exodus, and the actual events that led to the crucifixion of Christ. So, Jesus, Yeshua, came into the city of Jerusalem on the very day that we were told in Scripture to pull our sheep out of our flock and to make sure that for the next four days you examine them to find wow. out if they are, in fact, having any flaws or sin. It's no coincidence for me that when I read what we call the Last Supper, I was reading about a Seder that I had celebrated my entire life and still celebrate with great joy, now with fuller understanding. So the first of the spring festivals is Passover. But the second of the spring festivals proclaimed in Exodus to Moses is called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And the Festival of Unleavened Bread and the importance of leaven is that you're trying to identify and remove sin. So the unleavened bread 
is critical when you understand that that's the very moment that Christ is put in the, in the tomb. The third of the spring festivals is called the Festival of First Fruits. And this is the one that's really powerful because the Festival of First Fruits and what we know the Son of God to be, the first fruit, took place on the third day following Passover. So the first fruits of the resurrection. That's exactly right. Wow. And finally, the fourth of the spring festivals called for all the way back when Moses was talking to, to the Lord was what we call Shavuot, what we now call Pentecost, which happened 50 days after Passover, tied to Passover, all of those events. And in the importance of that to me was that's the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When I was finally able to have a direct relationship with God through Christ. Never before did I have that experience. Never before did I have that expectation. So you have four spring festivals, all tied to Scripture, all pointing out exactly what the importance of that moment in Jerusalem was, what Christ's role was, and why it changed my life. So what was established back in the book of Exodus, really with the Passover, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, was almost to the detail exactly fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ, who became the Passover lamb. Absolutely, and it answered my question because I heard, I read the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most profound things that was said to me was, I'm not here to abolish the, the Torah, the law, or the prophets. I'm here to fulfill it. And so the question was, what does fulfillment mean? And there, in the four festivals, the four most important of the festivals, there are only seven important festivals to the Lord, four in the spring, three in the fall. Those four in the spring are identical with the exact story of Yeshua. Wow. And so we see the fulfillment that Christ came to fulfill the very law that was stated, um, which then, I mean, you see all of these pieces coming together. So talk with me a little bit about, for the children of Israel, uh, there was the 400 years of bondage, slavery, and there was exodus to freedom. Right. Um, and it happened through the Passover. Uh, the blood that was shed placed over the doorpost. How do you see Christ being the one who brings us uh, out of slavery to freedom? Kind of the exodus. Well, for me, the importance of that is the blood. All of the other things that, that the Lord worried about and made the Pharaoh experience, none of them had to do with blood, except in the, in the river. But the blood over the door saving the firstborn child meant that it was a form of saving by virtue of the passing of blood. And that's really critical because the Passover Seder talks all about that, how the blood is available, why the wine is an important feature of that because it's a red wine. You're supposed to be identifying it with the blood. Why the first, what we know to be the Last Supper was a Seder and the Glasses of wine were an important part of that. So it's the blood. And of course, Passover, Exodus, all tied together and reunite through the identity of Christ. So then we see, even as there was the shedding of the blood of the Lamb in the book of Exodus that brought salvation for the household, uh, so we see through Christ the Passover Lamb as his blood was shed. Forgiveness for mankind, Exodus from bondage, into a new freedom.
that Christ has for us. I think that's what's so exciting is we began to see the Old Testament and the New Testament not separate, but really connected, and that we have this foreshadowing of an event that was to come as Christ came as the Passover lamb. And which makes Passover the most important holiday for the Hebrew people and for the Christian people. Absolutely. And uh, even more so, I know you and I talk a little bit about Easter, but it's really the Passover that's so significant. It was for the Israelites back in the book of Exodus, and even for us today, because it was on that day that Christ, the Passover lamb, was slain. And just like in the book of Exodus, as my family sits down at Passover time and has four glasses of wine and talks about the story, they are still enjoying the freedom that came from the blood over the doorpost. And as we sit here and have this conversation today, we're still enjoying the passing of the blood of Christ on that day. And the freedom we have. It's that that we celebrate. Well, thank you so much, Howard, for bringing this to light for us, kind of connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament. Your insight, I know, is so valuable for me and for our Grace Covenant family. So thank you for taking time to be with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Amazing. So we celebrate the Passover today, understanding this, that Jesus Christ was our Passover lamb. He gave his life for us. He died in our place that we might have this, that we might have abundant life and eternal life. It's interesting that when John the Baptist first introduced Jesus, he sees Jesus coming. This is like before Jesus begins his three years of public ministry. John 1, 29. Listen Listen to what John said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, the one who would be our Passover Lamb. Peter picks this up. The disciple Peter picks this up in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. He talks about how we were not redeemed by silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without spot, a lamb without, without blemish. So Christ, our Passover lamb, God's rescue plan simply stated, Jesus Christ is God's rescue plan. What happened in Exodus chapter 12 was was prophetically speaking forward of the coming of Jesus Christ the Messiah who would bring redemption for mankind. You know, it's interesting as we think about what the Passover means to the Israelites and what the Passover means to us today, there's like this parallel path. So, so really quick, what, what, does, what does the Passover mean for us as Christ's followers today? As those who have embraced the provision of Jesus Christ, it's the same four things. First is atonement. We have atonement. Christ redeemed us by coming a substitute for us. He died in our place. You know, the word atonement, if you were to break the word atonement down, at one minute, it actually means at one with. Christ died in our place that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be at one with God. And 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21 says this, that God made Him, being Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So, so what, is, what does Christ mean for us? What does the Passover lamb mean? mean for us first is atonement the second is this there's purification the application of christ's blood what purifies us this is what's so exciting and so amazing listen in a moment's time you can have your past completely forgiven 
Isn't that great news? What, you can have a new beginning, slate wiped clean. You can be purified. How? Through the provision of Jesus Christ. You know, 1 John, 1 John 1, 7 and 9. Listen to how the Scripture reads. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Verse 9 goes on to say, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's what? It's the applied blood of Jesus that purifies us. Not only is there purification, but there's also rescue. You and I were in trouble. We were without hope. What did we need? Listen, you would probably never think of yourself as being a slave like the Egyptians were. But listen, before Christ, you were a slave to sin. You were in bondage to sin. Sin called the shots in your life. What did you need? You needed to be rescued and you couldn't save yourself. So what do we have today? Through Christ, we have, we have rescue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, Paul talks about how we've been rescued from death. He talks about the reality of death and, and the reality of sin and the power of sin. But he goes on to say in verse 57 that we have victory through what? Through Christ. So like the Egyptians... We have atonement, we have purification, we have rescue. Not only that, Christ our Passover Lamb brings exodus. I mean, here's the children of Israel, 400 years of slavery, exodus to the promised land. For us, Christ the Passover Lamb brings exodus for our lives. What We get to leave the past to embrace the promises of the future. We get to trade old life for new life, abundant life, eternal life. But there's an exodus that happens in our life from the old person we were to the new person we are in Christ. But there's an exodus in the fullness of all that God has for us. So as we think of the Passover today, obviously it was a defining moment for the Hebrew people. It brought deliverance. It brought freedom. It brought a new future. But... But it was really so much more than that. It was a picture of God's rescue plan. As I've said, it was a foreshadowing of that of the coming of the Messiah. Today, what we have freedom. Today, we have life. Today, we have great future before us. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came. He died on the cross, was resurrected on the third day that we might have life. So today, as we conclude our time together, we want to conclude by celebrating Christ's provision. Celebrating Holy Communion. You know, every time, every time we celebrate Holy Communion, this is what we're doing. We're remembering and giving thanks for Christ, the Passover Lamb who died that we might live. Every time we celebrate Communion, what are we doing? We're remembering and we're celebrating rescue. We're celebrating God's rescue plan. We're celebrating what Christ did for us. As the servers are finishing serving the congregation, let me just talk with you for a moment about Christ's provision, about the blood that was shed. If you look back to Exodus chapter 12, it was not enough that they killed the lamb. It was not enough that the blood of the lamb was shed it was the application of the blood to the doorpost that brought the provision 
the safety, the rescue. As the death angel was coming through, he would see the blood and pass over. So again, it was not enough that they killed the lamb. It was not enough that they had the lamb for dinner. What was critical was the application of the blood to the doorpost. Let me say this morning, what was critical then still critical today. Hear me, friends. It's not enough. It's not enough just for you to have knowledge of the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. You have to apply the blood. It's not enough to have knowledge here, to believe here. It's got to get from your head to your heart. It's not enough just to believe. You have to receive. It's not enough just to have the blood. You have to apply the blood. Listen, what you don't want to do is miss heaven by a foot. And the foot is the difference from your head to your heart. Again, it's not enough just to believe. You have to receive. Not enough just to have the knowledge. You have to apply the blood. Possibly you're here today and you've never made that decision. You've never received Christ as your Savior. This is not an issue of whether you believe or not. You grew up believing. You're not an atheist. You, you, You believe in God. And I think that's good. I think you should. But again, it's not enough just to believe. You have to receive. You have to apply the blood, so to speak, to the doorpost. So I'm going to ask if you would bow your head with me just for a moment as you're holding there the communion elements. Possibly you're here today and you need to apply the blood. Possibly you're here today and you believe You believe that Jesus was the Son of God who was crucified and resurrected. You believe you have that knowledge in your head, but you've not applied it to your heart. You've not made that decision to receive Christ as your Savior. Listen, it's possible to have knowledge and split hell wide open. Listen, Satan Satan believes that Jesus was the Son of God. Every demon present believes that Jesus was the Son of God, I assure you. It's not enough just to believe, friends. You have to apply the blood. You have to receive. If you're here today and you've not made that decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand, one hand, really high right now, on the main floor in the balcony. You're here today and you just say, I need to apply the blood. I need to receive Christ as my Savior. I want want rescue. Is there anyone? Amen. I see that hand right there. Thank you, sir, for raising that hand so high and so bold. Anyone else? I need to apply the blood today. I need to receive. I need to receive. I see that hand in the balcony. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? I need to apply the blood. I want to receive Christ as my Savior today. As you have your heads bowed, as you're holding the communion elements, I'm going to ask everyone in the room, would you pray with me as we pray with these two men? Lord Jesus, thank You for giving Your life that I might have life.
I recognize today that I need to receive you. That I need to apply the blood to my life. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Amen. Lord, thank you for this bread that we hope. A symbol of your body that was given. This cup, your blood that was shed for our salvation, for our rescue, for redemption. With celebration and with gratitude, we receive this morning. Would you take the bread with me, the body of Christ given for you? Would you take the cup with me, the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of your sin and mine? For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.